game is the is the platform for which the medicine is delivered, right? Just like a pill is the platform for which a medicine is delivered. But what's happening behind the scenes is this algorithm that is actually the treatment. Um, but a game is was the perfect uh, was the perfect platform to put that algorithm inside. Greetings fellow explorers and welcome to the 16th episode of Geekoscopy 101, the podcast that explores the nexus between science, story, wonder and philosophy with me, your host, Dr. Yanis Kisten. And today we're exploring the depths of digital health and medical technology with a actual medical doctor this time. Uh, we had a nice chat with me and Dr. Fredman uh, looking into the ways that games can be medicine which is quite interesting. A disclaimer, some of the audio is not the best in this episode. Unfortunately, I had my uh, noise cancellation floor thing set in the wrong way, so I was busy trailing off uh, when I was speaking. So I try to patch it up as best I can. But without further ado, let's have a chat with the digital doc of gaming himself, Dr. Amiad Friedman. Hey, welcome to the show, Dr. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I am so excited to be here and to talk games for a little bit. That's really just the most fun thing to do. So thanks for having me on. It's always fun talking about games. One of the inspirations for my whole content creation journey was that I wanted to um, have these conversations with people that I couldn't have in IRL. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I have I have some IRL friends that uh, I play games with, but but yeah, just kind of like you, no one to really dive into the nitty gritty uh, or to talk about the positive effects of video games. So jumping into some of these online communities and starting podcasting myself, it's been such a joy to get to have these conversations again. Indeed, it's been really fun. Also, um, one of those things that helped with the whole you know social distancing thing and isolation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Games have, uh, I'm, we're lucky that they're around in, in this time, in this day and age. Indeed. So I think most of the guests of the channel have been um, science doctors or psychologists, but I don't think I've ever had a medical doctor. So yeah. why don't you let our audience know a little bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy to represent the MDs. I, I hope I can, I can do a good job. Um, so my name is uh, Dr. Amiad Fredman. Uh, I graduated from medical school this past year in 2020. Um, and sort of my, my big decision was that after medical school, I wasn't going to continue with the traditional path. I wasn't going to continue and complete a residency and work and practice medicine inside the hospital. Instead, what I wanted to do is take my medical training and use it to uh, improve patient care and the healthcare system from outside of the hospital. So uh, that involved me following my heart and my passion for digital health and games for health and working in those industries. You know, really, when you think of um, any app that you use on your phone that has to do with fitness or health or mental health, that's the type of companies that I work with. 
um, uh, and, and of course, game companies as well, uh, a couple of them, and, and hope to have a couple more of those in, uh, in the future. So using my MD a little bit differently, but uh, in 2021, healthcare, I think, is a lot bigger than just inside the hospital. Are you involved in any kind of research or just the applied stuff? Yeah, so traditional research, um, uh, not in the traditional sense. Uh, my day-to-day -day has me, you know, diving into different studies. Um, you know, what, what do I do? Uh, how do I help different healthcare startups and companies? Um, it's really helpful for the people in that industry to be able to um, uh, talk to someone who is able to sort of speak both languages. I'm able to look on the medical side of things and research uh, the state of medicine in certain, in certain areas of interest, um, but then be able to convert that to more layman's terms, to more business terms, to be able to say, hey, this is what's out there. This is what this means. This is what this does. And this is how it applies to you. And this is how we can make a fantastic product or game around it. Do you find that there's any misjunct or a disjunct? I love it. Let's coin it right now. <laughs> between traditional doctors and what they are practicing versus the latest research and what could be, you know, be done better. Um, do you find that there's any differences um, that we could remedy? That's a really good question. And, you know, medicine is a really difficult beast to tame for a lot of different ways. And one of the, uh, one of the parts of medicine that I struggled with in medical school was that uh, sort of what you've picked up on was that commitment, that following of that, that, that tradition, uh, the way medicine has been practiced for many years. And that's a really good thing for a lot of ways. We've learned a lot over the years, but that's also can be a bad thing too, because uh, like you said, things are changing. Um, so I think certain areas in medicine respond to change better than others. Uh, as far as technology goes, it's, it's a really difficult um, path to, especially if you're getting into devices and physical technology, it's really difficult to uh, break into medicine and to change um, behavior and to change the way things are done. Um, but I would say most doctors are aware of the importance of technology uh, integration into clinical practice. And you talk about AI and machine learning, you know, there's, uh, you know, books out there and articles out there. You know, is AI going to replace doctors, you know, replace radiologists? The answer is no. Um, it's not going to replace doctors, but doctors who use AI are going to replace doctors who don't use AI. Yeah, so keeping up with technology is going to be important for medical practice. But also as technology becomes more advanced, it also becomes more accessible. So it becomes easier to implement new technologies. And there's this, you know, barrier to entry kind of decreases. 
That's absolutely true. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that really excites me about digital health is that the barrier is so much lower and it really, like you said, it just, it opens up, it makes the whole uh, technology adoption much more accessible for, for uh, the field of healthcare, because you're not, you don't need, you know, to um, manufacture and distribute you know, real devices. It's something that anyone can uh, more or less download on their phone um, and access that, you know, just the way we access any other app. Um, so it's an area that certainly post-COVID and, and during COVID is just exploding. So how did you end up gravitating towards again? Well, for sure. Um, so, oh, that's such a fun question. So my first exposure to video games really came from my brother, who's also a uh, medical doctor. Both my brothers are actually. Um, and uh, my brother, we had a, a gift from my parents uh, that my brother wanted to go in together. He wanted to pool our gifts so we could get something a little bit larger. And he was always really into computer games. We didn't have any consoles or anything. Um, and I like to watch him, but I never, I never played. I guess I was, I was, you know, at that age, I was young, um, and and was fine just watching him. Um, but he wanted to, he wanted to get my, get me in the game because, uh, otherwise quite literally he wanted to get me in the game because he wanted a new game. Mm -hmm. Um, so I remember a new game informer issue came out, uh, with the cover was for Jedi outcast, uh, two, right. Jedi, Jedi outcast, Jedi Knight two. Um, and he's a big Star Wars fan, and through him, I'm a big Star Wars fan. So he spent about a week just showing me this magazine, talking about how cool the game is going to be. And how he sold me on the game was that he would control the, the player. He would control Kyle Katarn, and I would be in charge of the F1 through 12 keys on the computer, which were the force powers. So he would do the lightsaber, the moving, and I would do the force powers. And that sold me the idea of being able to force pull people or force push mm. people. Um, that was enough for me. So we woke up every day, um, for however long it took us to beat that game, you know, an hour before we needed to, to get ready for school. Uh, and we played an hour of this game where he would control uh, Kyle Katarn and I would be in charge of the force powers. And from then on, I was hooked. Uh, I, uh, was hooked not only as someone who, loves games and loves to play games, um, but someone who believes in games. And uh, as I grew up, found that to be more true and more true and more true of really the power of games to help uh, have, have, a, have an, an impact, to help teach us, to help um, teach empathy, uh, and to help heal, really. What was the moment that sparked video games moving from becoming a hobby to something that you could use professionally or useful in everyday life? Um, I mean, I could think of a couple, you know, I think the game that sparked it for me, uh, and it's, it's probably my favorite game of all time. Uh, it's, it's, you know, not too, um, didn't come out too long ago, but it's Uncharted 2 by Naughty Dog. And I was playing that game on my PlayStation 3, and it was the first time I just, just fell in love with a character. And I'm like, I am playing this game, and I am connected to Nathan Drake. Like, I am in it with him. I am empathizing with him. I am, his struggles are my struggles. And that was something that, that, 
that really made me think differently about games. And, um, you know, I mean, there was always the story of uh, the, the founders of uh, BioWare or actually two medical doctors. Mm-hmm. So in the back of my mind, I, I mean, I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. Back of my mind, I was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to, to integrate games in some way? Um, and when I started medical school, uh, I came in, it was just about the time, you know, it was 2016. It was just about the time where VR was becoming very popular. Um, mm-hmm. And I was fascinated by virtual reality. And I said, wow the power to transport you to be somewhere where you are not, the power to shield you from where you are, there is such an application for that in medicine. And I came into medical school really um, uh, with a focus to somehow combine these passions. And I did a lot of different studies with the effects of virtual reality uh, on patients, on healthcare providers um, in different ways. Uh, and that was sort of my first, um, experience hitting the ground running, actually taking these technologies and combining them with, with medicine and really merging those two passions. That's pretty cool. So Uncharted 2 must be one of my favorite games of all time. Yes, <laughs> it, uh, it, it has withstood the test of time. I mean, there are yeah. some incredible games, but my memories of those games. And again, that what it did for me and the connection that I felt with those characters, um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it just, it always keeps it at number one. Yeah. The, the PS3 generation, a lot of the sequels were really good. Cause all That's the right. first, all the firsts were really getting into, you know, the whole HD shift. That's a hundred percent right. And it's probably something that, I would imagine is common with a new console release. I mean, it takes a little bit of time to, you know, get you know, for developers to get their feet under them uh, to, you know, start, fo- you know, learning not only what these consoles can do, but to focus fully on making games just for the new consoles and not for the past gen. Um, so there's probably a couple things that have to do with it, but, but yeah, you're right. It was a, a generation of sequels. It was a really good time to be a gamer. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of sort of where we're at now, where we're just getting the steady influx. I mean, you think of the past, like, I don't know, four years, three years, you just got in such incredible games. I mean, you got your God of Wars, your Spider-Mans, Horizons. I'm a PlayStation guy, so that's where my mind goes. Me as well, um, yeah. There you go. There you go. Unchar- you know, finishing off the Uncharted Legacy with Uncharted 4. Um, it's, it's just, it's such an, it's such an, it was an exciting time to be a gamer and it continues to be an exciting time to be a gamer. Did you manage to get a PS5? Thankfully, yes. Thankfully I, uh, was lucky enough to be invited, I guess, from Sony. I got the, the email that got, allowed me to wait in queue, um, for their website. Uh, and I guess I got there early enough to, to get in. So I got my PlayStation five right here, right next to me. It's my baby. Uh, and we're having a good time together. How about you? Did you get uh, one? No, I didn't manage to get one. Well, <laughs> I, I, we, I can't really afford it. It's, it's, it's sure. far more expensive. In, like it's not, oh. it's, it's not at the dollar exchange rate. That's right. Hundred dollars top of that. That's hard. That's hard. Also, I've never been much of a early adopter. Like I always like mm-hmm. to wait for the pieces to get ironed out for a sale, hopefully down the line and you, you are know, smart after the news with with cyberpunk goes okay, i can't make the right place this time again uh right because, right because the news on cyberpunk was sad i'm lucky i did not 
get a PS5, and then get Cyberpunk. Yes, absolutely. No, I think I think that's smart if you can wait. Um, I feel like I'm a sucker. I, I am the early adopter. Recently, now that you know my lifestyle's changed, I have two kids. Of other responsibilities, I can't play as many games as I used to, you know, in, in high school and in college. Um, so, or, or before having kids, so that that does change the way you know um, I, I go about purchasing new games. I'm like, well, I really don't have the time for another open world game, so I'm gonna let Assassin's Creed sit for a little bit. I'll pick yeah. it up when it's on sale, you know, twenty bucks, whatever it is, and play it later in the yeah. year. Yeah, and I wonder, like, you know, Cyberpunk. I mean, you know, there's a lot of reporting that's gone into it, but I wonder, like, really, and it'll probably come out in a couple of years, probably in a report by Jason Schreier or something. Um, but what really was the effect of COVID on the making of these games? I mean, because mm-hmm. even like Watch Dogs Legion, I played. That game just lacked a polish of the other mm. ones in the entry, um, and I, they haven't even come out with their multiplayer yet. And it's like at this point, mm. who's going to even go back for multiplayer in that game? So I really am curious to see what um, what really happened behind the scenes with mm. with that transition to working from home. For sure. Not to mention Watch Dogs. Um, I have a question for you uh, that I ask everybody: Is do you like one or two better? Oh, it's such a good question. It's a, yeah. and I'm such a good person to ask because I'm the anomaly. I liked. I mean, I, I really enjoyed two. It was a great game, yeah. but I connected way more with one. Um, I liked the like. I liked Aiden as a character. Like mm. people say he, he, he couldn't really identify with him as much as Marcus. Like that's totally true. Marcus is a more fun character, but I thought that grittier tone that they went to with mm. watchdog, uh, watchdogs one, um, was really cool. Like he was kind of a Jack Bauer character. He had mm. this secret skill set that made him an expert that no one really else had this skill set. Like the end of, I don't know, can I spoil the end of Watch Dogs 1? It's, it's been a long time, I'm sure. Okay, okay. <laughs> the end of the game, when you're like facing the big bad and he's at this protective shield and you just like pull out your phone, you know, and the medical connection gets me excited, but you hack his pacemaker and, oh, and yeah. actually induce an arrhythmia and have, him, uh, have die from a heart attack, essentially. Like, that is so cool. And I have yeah. so dark. So I, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 100% with you. I, I enjoyed Watch Dogs one much more than, than... I don't even know if I feel... Right, um, right. It just... Yeah, like, it comes down to, like, the setting of, of how I want my hacking world to be and the darker version. That's right. Was and then with Legion, like... They, they continue to go in the direction that I didn't really like. Like they open it up that literally anyone in the streets of, uh, of London can be a super hacker. So, you know, I know, I remember, um, there's some people out there who kind of made their own narrative in watchdogs too, for like that Marcus would always be shooting with rubber bullets because it's not realistic for him to be like mm. a terrorist. Um, so I had to make my own narrative for watchdogs legion that no, it's not them hacking. It's really just the Bagley, the, the AI, I think his name was, um, it's really just, it's, it's the capable capability of him. It doesn't take mm. any skill on the user. So that was the narrative I created. I don't know if that, maybe that is actually what it was, but, <laughs> maybe. um, yeah, yeah no, the, I'm with you. I'm with the, you. The, the premise of legion. I was, I don't think I'll ever. 
Yeah. Even yeah. if I got it for, for free, <laughs> I don't have the time to spend. Um, yeah, you know, Legion was one of those games. Um, it kind of is in the same boat for me as Days Gone, which is a game that I'm playing and there's just enough interest there to continue to push me to continue to play, even though I'm just not I'm not enjoying it so much. But I, I want to see what happens with the story enough. And, and, I, and I think that's probably my favorite thing in games is story. So it pushed me enough. Days gone, that game was like, I don't know, like 60 hours. So that was a real push. I regret it, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> 60 hours. I, I don't know if I would have made it. Oh my god! I don't literally don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, I, I played a bit of it on, on friends' concert, and I didn't really like the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah it seems to again, be missing like the something. The story was yeah. interesting enough. The world was interesting enough, but it's that that disconnect between story and gameplay. The gameplay just wasn't there, in my opinion. It lacked. That's right. Um, so now going back to um, medicine and therapy, uh, how do you think, um, what are the best ways that video games can be used in medical practice in any way? So there's so many ways to answer that question because it's such a, there, there's so many exciting um, uses for games in, in medicine. Um, I think the biggest one that I see is in medicine, we are pretty bad, really, as healthcare providers of understanding the patient experience. What is happening with the patient when they go home from the CVS with a prescription for a new medicine to start taking? Why is patient compliance so low with taking medication, with adhering to treatment plans? And it's something that's so frustrating sometimes as a healthcare provider, often as a healthcare provider, because it's like, hey, I, I, I gave you this medicine. I told you what to do. Why aren't you doing it? It's going to make you better. Um, mm. and, and, we're so, and there's a disconnect between the doctor doing that and the patient actually um, um, uh, going through with that plan. So we don't understand the, the patient experience. Video game developers, on the other hand, are everything about the user experience. Everything they do, everything, every decision they make is about how do we make this a positive experience for the person playing so that they'll want to continue playing. I think there's so much that the healthcare, the world of healthcare can learn from game design uh, and game developers in understanding the psyche of the end user. Um, so, and, and I think a big way to do that often is to actually apply game mechanics. Um, I, uh, work with a, um, a, a wonderful company called level X that makes educational video games for doctors. Um, and they are an incredible team, uh, full of medical experts, but also veterans in the games industry. I mean, sometimes I'm like fanboying out when I'm on conference calls because of who I get to be on the calls with. Um, and they are making games. They are making really good games, but as a byproduct, they're also fantastic educational platforms to teach doctors about new therapies or procedures and how to do them and how to understand them. Um, so I think it's the same thing as you can make real, and there's certain companies that are doing this. I mean, you open up the whole 
field, which is a completely, completely new field, which is kind of rare for that to happen, like something completely new. But digital therapeutics um, is, is something that's totally new, actually delivering therapy through a digital intervention. So there's an incredible company out. If you've watched the Game Awards this past year, you may have seen Adam Ghazali um, uh, receive an honor at the Game Awards for his work at Achille. Um, but Achille Interactive uh, is the company that received FDA approval, the first video game ever to receive FDA approval for the treatment of a disease. How cool is that mm. sentence? Um, so, so it is a video game that is only playable if you, pres if it's prescribed by a physician, uh, to a child, uh, with ADHD and it actually is scientifically proven to, uh, treat, um, uh, some aspects of ADHD. That's incredible. And, and that's, you know, the game, um, when I interviewed, uh, Matt Omernick, who's the co-founder of the company, you know, he says the game is the is the platform for which the medicine is delivered, right? Just like a pill is the platform for which a medicine is delivered. But what's happening behind the scenes is this algorithm that is actually the treatment. Um, but a game is, was, the perfect, uh, was the perfect platform to put that algorithm inside. Um, so I think there's a lot of really interesting things. I mean, I could literally go on and on. There's neurofeedback. What can we learn about our own bodies? How can games uh, improve our health? Um, there's so many interesting topics to go on for that. But the bottom line is there's a lot. There's a lot of unity that can happen between these two industries. Yeah, when, when I learned about the um, prescribed video game, a whole new, a whole new world that we were entering at that point. Um, do, you, yeah. do, you know, do you know the specifics about how it, how it works? So I think the algorithm is somewhat confidential. Um, but it, it treats the, um, the attention, uh, part of if the att attention deficit component, uh, of ADHD, not necessarily the hyperactivity component. Um, and the way it essentially does that is, uh, to my understanding is you're constantly have things on the screen that you're being told to pay attention to, uh, and at the same time, things to not pay attention to. And mm -hmm. The reason it's an algorithm is because as you progress, I mean, it, you, you think you're playing, you are, you're playing like a kart racer kind of temple run Mario Kart type of game. Um, and as you're doing that and you're getting better, the game is scaling and difficulty with you and is mm. constantly making you have to focus on different parts and not focus on different parts. So it's actually that training that inside your, your body, inside your brain, you're actually retraining. Um, different neurotransmitters and different, uh, uh neural pathways, um, that, that I think is probably similar to, uh, how the actual pharmacology, uh, interventions work as well. So you That's can so play sad. this game instead of taking, you know, Ritalin and as a child, uh, for anybody, there's, you know, some adverse effects, some side effects of, of a drug like Ritalin, um, that is not great, uh, for some people respond to it, you know, better than others, but, um, if you could avoid that, and what, what kid doesn't want to play a game for a treatment? That's great. I think, you know, having right. one of these already, already makes you a cyborg in some, in some kind of way. Cause you can't, that's right. Like, you can't function without Google these days. Like it's, uh, Oh my God. I was just on a call. I was on a work call and you know, we're, um, uh, me and another physician are looking up all of these medical things and getting into the nitty gritty of different topics. 
And I was just, and we were doing it live on the call. And I was saying, could you imagine if we didn't have Google? If we did, like, what would we do? We would all be like, okay, we're all going to go to the library. It's COVID time. We're all going to go and we'll reconvene here in two weeks after we've read everything. And then we'll go back and do it again. <laughs> like it, it would, like, if, if I think about something like, you know, being a scientist, it is so different now having access to research platforms. Versus how it used to be done, like, you know, 50 years ago. You had to go to track down a journal. If you didn't have access, you had to, like, mail another library somewhere and get them to send something. Well, it's interesting because it also, you know, taking it back to medicine, it also changes the way medicine is practiced. Um, in the past, I mean, a doctor really had to learn and memorize almost everything. And if they don't have it memorized, they need to have quick ways of looking up information. They need to have their textbooks on hand. They need to have um, their, their flashcards on hand. Uh, and if there was something that changed, you know, they needed to, and, and they still do, but they need to keep up with the latest articles every month sent to their house or sent to their institution and, and keep up to date with that. Now it's so different because, you know, you still, you know, hope to have these things down, but you don't necessarily need to have all these things memorized. And, and I would argue that it's probably not a good use of your time to memorize no. a lot of this medical information because you can just look it up on your phone. And as a doctor, what makes you special, I think, is your ability, because this is how you've been trained, your ability to quickly, critically think um, and come up with plans and synthesize information. Um, a whole other topic we probably won't get into here but you know it, it it certainly brings up some of my frustrations with the medical education system that hasn't quite moved away from that traditional uh concept of hey you need to memorize everything and that's kind of how doctors and talk future doctors are are tested still in a traditional sense yeah. that's not necessarily the way they should be yeah it's a similar kind of train of thought when i you know discussed it with a teacher's how science is kind of portrayed in school as just you know having a a bunch of facts out at you and you need to remember them and actual scientists usually don't get into science like through school it's something that outside of school that inspired them right that's you right know, the the knowledge that you get taught not necessarily what intrigues you Wonder of, wonder That's right. of wanting, the problem solving, figuring out something. So now that we have, you know, Google to check the facts for us, we can focus more on, on the wonder of things, problem solving it, and using your brain more to connect things. Absolutely. And really interestingly, I think games uh, and video games can be a really wonderful way to do that, or at least we can learn a lot of ways um, from games on how to implement that in the classroom. Uh, there's a book I've talked about a couple of, of my own interviews. Um, uh, it was recommended to me by um, Eric Antworker, who was my first interview that I conducted, uh, but it's called Video Games and Literacy uh, by James Paul G. Um, and he actually talks exactly what you're talking about, about the scientists and about teaching science in school. And it isn't, just like you said, it isn't necessarily the, the biology classes, um, the physics classes that get you interested in, but 
um, especially today when you could look these things up, um, it is role-playing as a scientist. And what does it actually mean to be a scientist? We don't really cover that in school. We learn about the mm. facts, but what, is, what does a scientist actually do? And games give us the power to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Um, and through that, you actually can learn. Uh, and and, and at, maybe you're not taught the facts first. Maybe you're actually taught how to play as a scientist first. When the scientists, you, come uh, into a problem, well, now you need to learn um, your critical thinking skills, your problem-solving skills of how you solve this problem. Now you can start looking things up. And I think that's a much more um, interesting and probably uh, um, successful way to teach somebody. Yes, like what other success stories are, are there about using medical games or even just games that weren't actually intended to teach anything? That's a great question. And that is, is the other side um, that I explore uh, uh, certainly on my content channel, but also um, hopefully professionally is let's take it the other way. Okay. Now we've talked a lot about what can healthcare learn from games? What can games learn from healthcare? Uh, and and we we know this to be true, right? We all anyone who plays games knows there's a power of games. And I've talked about the power of walking a mile in someone else's shoes. Um, and really, what that does is it teaches empathy. And empathy is something that great philosophers actually question if it even exists. And I've I had classes in medical school where we talked about this. As doctors, do we empathize with patients? Should we empathize with patients or should we just sympathize with them? To empathize means to actually feel more or less what they're feeling. As a healthcare provider, maybe you don't want that. It's an interesting conversation. But games allow you to get, if it's possible to truly empathize, games probably are the closest way to get to that experience because you really are experiencing someone else's perspective. I mentioned it with Uncharted 2 that I really connected with Drake, but I think the best example of a game like that is The Last of Us 2. Same developer, different game, but uh, you look at The Last of Us 2 and not only uh, do you empathize with the main character and what that character is going through and what you've experienced together and built on the last game, try not to spoil anything, but built on the last game, like what that means to both of you, that on its own is uh, enough. But Naughty Dog takes it one step further and says, no, now you're going to feel all that. Now you're going to experience it from another point of view. And now something and someone that you think you hate and that burns, just, you know, hearing uh, the person's name makes you just angry inside, just like it does, you know, for the, char- for the main character in The Last of Us. Now you're going to experience things through her eyes and now you're going to live her story. And at the end of the game, you know, it's, it's up to whoever plays to decide. But for me, at least it is not as simple as it was when you thought, you know, when it just started and that empathy is, is really taken to painful lengths uh, to teach empathy in that game. So I think there's a lot of use cases for that in the healthcare field. Um, I mean, you look at games that, uh, are, are on the subject of health. So one of my favorite ones that just came out in the past year, um, I have an interview on my channel with the uh, developers of, of this game 
Um, Before I Forget, a short, indie, beautiful game um, where you play as a character uh, who suffers from dementia, uh, from early onset dementia. And it's not a game that, it is a game for anyone who plays games. It's on Steam, go download it. It's, I think, you know, it's often I have sales, not maybe five, six dollars. and you'll come away learning a lot of actually, you know, someone, a medical professional who played that game, you will learn a lot about what it is like to live with dementia. And then as a medical professional playing that game, I learned a lot about what it is like to let I me, mean, obviously I know about dementia. I know what dementia looks like, what it sounds like. Um, but it gave me an insight of what dementia feels like. And I think that game absolutely should be taught at every medical school and every doctor, especially if you see older patients, should play that game because um, I've treated dementia patients. I've been involved in the care plan of dementia patients, but I never understood them as much until I played that game. So I think there's a lot of different um, uh, ways that actually games can be applied uh, to the to the healthcare um field in that way and that games can explore health and actually go the other way as well have you played um that dragon cat so recently i did it's been on my list for a very long time i played it on stream um it's actually a, a subject a, a game i'd like to explore more in my channel but yeah that's kind of the go-to example of of sort of a serious game of a game about mm-hmm. illness and it's created right about you know um the developers on that game it's it's their life story they lost mm-hmm. their son to cancer um and they lost their baby to cancer um so that i mean that was uh, a fantastic and horrible and powerful and gut-wrenching and emotional game i mean it was not easy to play no it is hard uh, i for some reason decided to stream oh because i was on yeah. a cha- i was on a charity stream for cancer um, I, I did the same thing <laughs> <laughs> um it was just so so moving like i couldn't like normally when you, you know in a twitch stream you try to be like interactive with really hard game to stream uh, yeah it was really difficult was so moving and somehow it put you into the into the minds it's not something that i've ever dealt with, with personally so luckily i haven't got to experience that uh, but yeah. you can just feel like feel the pain and then the the interesting thing about that is um the way they actually use gameplay and and this is what makes games different mm-hmm. i think than movies um to convey these topics but the mm-hmm. way they use the gameplay to convey that and there's a scene in that game to this day i i, I don't know if i was just doing something wrong but like i don't think i was but there's a scene where you're in the hospital room and you probably remember it and uh joel i think is the name of the son um and the the baby is just crying hysterical it is loud it is annoying Mm. quite frankly it is Mm. stressful and you playing as the father 
are trying to shush the baby or walking around. I'm walking around. I have no idea what to do everywhere. I'm going. It's not letting me do anything. This baby won't stop crying. I go to the window. It plays a little cut scene, but then nothing happens. I go back, does the same cut scene, nothing. And, and I'm, I'm like, what do I do? And I'm getting so frustrated, but you, I realize I, I, I still don't really know if this was intended. Maybe there's something I missed, but assuming it was intended. Yeah. I am really frustrated because I want this baby to be quiet. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what that father feels like in that mm-hmm. moment. I mean, I'm a father, so I could say like, you know, you love your kids, but like sometimes there are times where you're just like, come on, I need to go to sleep. God, stop crying. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, and, and it made me feel that way. So, so I, I, yeah, I, it's yeah. a fantastic game. It, it does. It does. Blow the no, that scene, I think, is it a 10 Right. Right. Um, right. To to soothe the baby and it's very frustrating. For one, I had some. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. Well, for one, it's you want the baby's pain to go away as quick as possible, but it's not, and so you get this frustration of yeah, you want to go to bed, but also the baby's in pain. Nothing you can do. You feel powerless, and that's the other side of the frustration. It messes with you. It does. It makes you, it puts you in the, forces you there and, and, and sticks. So used to games having a win condition and we know, okay, we start at A and if we get to B, we win in the game and, and we, we do good, right? Uh, but then games like this just throw that on its head and it's like, no, like there's no winning here. Like you're going to play and you're just going to, you're just going to keep going. It's, there's no winning, there's no losing. Like, sorry. And it's, it's really, it's uncomfortable because we're not used to that. So, so what's the vision for that, for Digital Doc and your content creation channel? For sure. So, yeah, so Digital Doc Games, uh, I, I came up with the name, uh, which I still wonder if it was the right name to choose, but, but we're here now. Um, but my nephew, who uh, is, he's, he's, he's six uh, now, he's almost seven, but my six-year-old nephew asked me, uh, what kind of doctor are you? And that is a really hard question to explain in just uh, one word um, for me. And so I said, well, uh, I'm a digital doctor. Uh, and because that's what I do. I work in digital health. Uh, so I, I, I became Digital Doc. Uh, so that was the name that I chose, Digital Doc Games. And what we do is we explore how games help us grow, connect, and heal. So really how everything we've been talking about other types of things that I explore in my channel. So if you like the podcast this far and you've made it this far, you'll probably like digital doc games as well. For sure. Um, and I'm, sure I'm sure we have, we'll have an overlap of audience. Um, and yes, yeah. yes. I'm so excited to, to get some more geek squads uh, into some more geekoscopies uh, into the digital doc and vice versa. We'll, we'll cross pollinate a little bit. Um, but uh you know, really, it's about health and, and games. So uh, the main, I would say the mainstay of the channel are the interviews, um, very similar to this. Uh, I interview experts on the health side of things, uh, on the health tech side of things, healthcare side of things, but also on the video game side of things. And, you know, it, it, it's either healthcare professionals using games in some interesting ways, like therapy. Uh, you know, I interviewed uh, the founder of Achilles, like I mentioned, um, or on the game side of things, you know, like the before I forget interview, uh, people who are using games um, uh, uh, to convey messages of health. Uh, we interviewed the clinical advisor on um, 
the making of the game Hellblade, which is another game we could go into. Um, but it's been really fun. So we do the interviews. Uh, I play games that I believe are impactful. And then also, you know, similar, I'm sure you could relate. It's, it's the joy of building a community um, and getting to know people. And I think that's a big, important part of health also that games uh, uh, can, can help offer. Um, so going into, uh, well, content creation on a different level, you were tasked with developing a video game of some sort. It might help something that you want to solve in European. A good question. As such, I'm, I, with your permission, I may even steal that question for some of my own Go for it. Go for it. I did not patent or trademark that question, so you can well, go for it. The, the geekoscopy <laughs> question of the week. I love it. Um, so I have always had the idea of a game, and I even storyboarded some of it with my wife while I was going through med school. Um, but, you know, there's all these TV shows out there about doctors you know there's er there's Grey's anatomy there's nurses now there's chicago whatever um so and it's a very popular genre and that genre for whatever reason hasn't crossed over into games and i can't figure out why because clearly people are interested in the lives of doctors of course they're you know um a little bit add drama to these some of these shows that make it interesting and things like that um but I would love to direct the making of a game that explored a little bit more of the life of a doctor, med student, nurse, whoever it is. Um, and through that, uh, you would experience not only, I think, the difficulties um, that we don't necessarily think um, of, you know, what is the emotional toll that these people um, that are on the, on the front lines of things um, that they're, that they're taking, uh, you know, that's, that's a topic maybe we're more familiar with now with COVID something we're more aware of. Um, but also you would explore different patient stories and I would love to do that actually to do true patient stories. I have a journal that I kept in med school with some experiences of my own of different patients uh, that were really impactful to, to me during my time in med school. Um, I'd love to interview more patients about their experiences and really make this like, um, uh, a true point, but, um, that, yeah, that's what I would like to do a, a day, a day in the life of, of really walking around the hospital. Um, I think it would be, it would be really interesting and provides for some really interesting gameplay mechanics. Play the hell out of a yeah. house, house MD. There you that's, go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I mean, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. And then, you know, who knows, maybe it, it is, um, as a byproduct, maybe there is some learning, mm. uh, that comes for it. I mean, I, um, another interview that I did was with just Dr. Justin Barad, who's uh, the founder of, of Oso VR, um, which is a virtual reality training simulation platform for doctors, for surgeons. Um, and he said his dream is to open it up. That it's not just surgeons using it, but maybe it's a high school student who's maybe interested in being a doctor, but doesn't know any doctors and doesn't know anything about being a doctor. Um, so similarly, yeah, if this was a game that could be a mainstream and as a byproduct, you're like, oh, you know what? I actually would really like this profession, um, or I find these subjects really interesting. And that'd be really cool. Yeah. Speaking on the video game side, I've noticed recently that gaming culture, well, I think games have matured um, into form of media that the others have. I think 
the mainstream culture has yet to fully catch up. The money is definitely, uh, but it's starting to now evolve into okay, gaming culture now is used for marketing. Look at mm. KFC's marketing. They made a <laughs> they made a KFC console thing, and and they had oh a, my god, they had a dating simulator for the the colonel. Um, yeah, I think I just saw a commercial. I don't know what it was for, but it was like filmed in Call of Duty. Like that's how they filmed the commercial. So totally, that's weird. So how do you think? Uh, like, what do you think about you know that sort of thing and things like in-game gambling? That sort of thing affecting how those games in the future, where they act on the positive sides. Interesting question. So some of these negative um, aspects of of gaming that that we talk about and that are thrown around in the in the mainstream. Uh, and the best place to go for that, right, is jump right over after this. If you haven't listened to the Gigascopy podcast with Rachel Coward, I'm sure you guys get into that as well. Um, you know, I, I think that if on the player side of things, the player own some responsibility um, to make sure they're playing appropriately uh, and um, to make sure nothing is, is getting dangerous. You, you start talking about these issues like gambling disorder, gaming disorder. This becomes a problem when the the hobby that you've chosen is actually interfering and bleeding too much into it's disrupting your real life. If you're playing so many games that you aren't going out anymore, that you're not working in your job like you should, that you're not studying in school like you should, that you feel compelled to play these games, that you can't walk away, that's when these things start being a problem. And that's when it's time to start looking um, for help for these um, for, for something like that. Same thing goes for gambling. Um, that being said, there's also a responsibility on the developer side of things. I remember I was watching, there's a great, um, a great documentary series on Netflix called Design or The Art of Design. It's something like that. And it's so good. And there um, is one of the episodes um, is uh, about the lead product manager at Instagram. Um, and it talks about how he made the logo for Instagram. And it's really, really interesting. Um, and he, and in that they interviewed the guy who, um, it was his idea, it was his invention to cut his feature to come up with the, um, the endless scroll on Instagram, right? So it used to be, if you scrolled on Instagram eventually, and it probably was this way on other social media platforms too, if you've seen everything there is to see, it would stop. But he came up with an algorithm that makes it never stop, right? Twitter never stops. Facebook never stops. Instagram never stops. So they all do it now. And he said it was the worst thing he's ever done. He said he sits on the bus, he's taking public transportation, and he looks around and he sees people just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And he says whenever he's in a situation like that, he feels horrible. He's like, what have I done to the world? Now, I think since then, they've made some changes. I think there's a you're all caught up session. You know, they, Twitter says, like, you may have missed. So you get to know when your new content is, is run dry. Um, but that highlights the responsibility on the developer's side of things uh, and the company's side of things to make 
responsible choices because at the end of the day, you are a master of, like I said, of user engagement. Um, so you can use that for good or you can use that for evil. Um, and I think, you know, we've gotten into to loot boxes and, you know, I mean, my daughter, she is one and a half years old, almost two years old. Um, and we have like two games for her that we downloaded on the iPad. It's really cute watching her play it. She really likes it, but they lock like 95% of the game away behind this payroll. And she's not even two years old and she can use the iPad, which is really cute, but she doesn't really understand when something's accessible or it's locked. So she'll press one of them. It's locked. And it takes her to a page um, that, you know, says like, go get an adult, like type in this code and, and you can subscribe to this ridiculous, like $25 a month or something like that for this Crayola crayons game. Um, but it's so predatory. I mean, they, they, they hit you with that message at every turn, every wrong button you press. And there's only like certain areas that are actually safe to press because you'll constantly be hit with that. And that I think is really, really wrong especially since it's targeted to super young children. Um, even if it says go get an adult, it's just not, it's not done right, in my opinion, not to mention the price that they charge for a monthly subscription. Um, so I think in games, you know, in, in you know, more mainstream video games, it's the same thing. And we could put advertisements and open world billboards, um, maybe, you know, get to a future. Is this matched actually to your, your search history? Like Facebook is, um, you get into that ethical issues, um, you know, uh, politics and, and everything that happened with the, the election um, last time, last go around with fake news, that becomes an issue. But at the end of the day, we need someone who is on the developer side of things doing this responsible. And honestly, um, that probably requires uh, um, some serious resources being dedicated into that, maybe a position um, at these studios, at, at all companies that actually, I don't know if this exists or not, but, um, already or not, but a position that is focused on, you know, the ethical side of products and product development and gaming development. And are we, are we doing our part as members of the society to make sure that we're, um, we're, we're doing this in, a, in an ethical way? You hope we're trending in the right direction. Yeah. We're becoming louder as a gaming community when things aren't okay. Um, gaming journalism is loud as well. I mean, that cyberpunk, like why was cyberpunk so icky? It was because mm. of, it, it, you know, the glitches and all of that. That's one thing, but it's because they hit it, right? It's because they didn't let people see those versions of the game until after they bought it um, and after it released. So, and they didn't give any bearing that that existed. So that, that was an ethical issue. It stopped from, it's not just an issue of it being glitchy and, and it not working. Now it's an ethical issue because you, you lied, you know what I mean? Um, so we're hoping, and look what happened, you know, Sony took it off the store. Everyone's giving refunds for it. Um, so there were repercussions there, even though they still, I think are like super profitable. Uh, but hopefully that'll teach other people to think twice before they do something like that. For sure, for sure. But, but I'm sure things will get better. Uh, talking about you know, things getting better, what do you think, you know, 10, 20 years from now, everything goes well, blue skies. What do you think the landscape of health and lives look like? I think the types of things we'll be doing Great question. Um, well, I think for one, you're going to see more people taking paths similar to me, uh, 
right now there's not too many of us, uh, but I think it's going to become more popular as you see the Googles, the Amazons, the Microsofts of the world uh, moving into health tech. These companies, large and small, are going to need um, uh, medical-minded people on their development teams, on their strategy teams. Uh, and, and I hope to see that medical education caters to this as well. Uh, and actually facilitates, you know, um, Stanford Medical School does a really good job at this, but um, not many others do, uh, but facilitates like, oh, okay, that's the area of medicine you want to go into. There's a track for that. We, we can cater to you for that. Um, so that's sort of on the medical side. Um, on the gaming side, I think as well, I think if you want to go into game development, um, I think that means something really different in 2021 than it did just 10 years ago, uh, five years ago. Um, just if you want to be a game developer, you don't have to only look at working at Activision or Naughty Dog or Blizzard or any of, you know, the big name studios, but there's all these different companies and startups out there that are using games in different ways. Some of which we've touched upon, um, today. I, I, I saw there's, there's someone out there now that's trying to make finance into a game and make fi actually finance fun, which is, that's a tough thing to do, but, but Hey, go for it. Um, and there's a lot of ways to be a game developer now. So I think you're going to see more opportunity um, as far as what type of solutions. Uh, it's just going to continue to grow. I mean, we talked about digital therapeutics. Um, I think that's going to continue to expand uh, to be a booming industry um, and digital health. I mean, COVID, COVID propelled it 10 years into the future, but it's not going anywhere. So you're going to um, continue to uh, use telemedicine, um, with your doctors, uh, these infrastructures are going to continue to be built on and perfected. Um, and I think in the end, we're, we're all going to be a, a lot more, um, ironically kind of, but a lot more connected for it. You know, um, you don't want to lose the human connection, but I think in the end, if it's done right, we'll all be connected a little bit more. For sure. I'd like to agree with you. Um, so Dr. Friedman, we've talked for about an hour now, so we could talk or a few more. Oh my God, uh, totally. Yeah, but I think we'll save that for another episode. So in the meanwhile, why didn't you let our lovely audience we can find you and your work on Yes, lovely audience. You can find me um, uh, on Twitter, uh, twitter.com, um, at, uh, at digital.games or my personal account at digital.md. The best place to follow is on YouTube, youtube.com slash digital.games. That's where we put up all of our interviews, um, uh, our most fun Let's Plays, our most impactful games, our impact reviews of impactful games. Um, and you can also follow me on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash digital.games, where I do my interviews live. Uh, and every uh, Tuesday right now, hopefully that remains true, um, uh, around, around noontime, uh, depending where in the world you are, I guess, uh, around 1 p.m. EST, uh, I'm live every Tuesday playing some type of impactful game or community game um, or, uh, or fun, fun experience like that. So uh, don't be afraid to jump in the chat. Don't be afraid to DM me, message me, follow me, whatever it is. Uh, the most fun part about this so far has been getting to know all of all of you guys and, and the community and the fellow content creators. So um, hope to have you guys along for the ride. Oh, thanks for joining. Dr. Thank you for having me. This was like the highlight of my week. I'm telling you, anytime I could just talk 
geek out, mm. you know, talking medicine's great. Talking games. It's fantastic. So, uh, talking watchdogs one being superior to watchdogs two is the <laughs> best. So I really appreciate it.